You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night to everybody out there in radio and podcasting land. This is The Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and it is episode 334. We're all going to sit around and talk about all our favourite games that you can play on, in, around, around, in, and on. And sometimes under. Yeah, and sometimes under, depending on our mood and how much booze we've had. Tabletop gaming. And I am here as I am with the magical elf that is Garf. Hello, hello, hello. And the not-so-magical orc that is Mark. What? Indeed he do. And I am your dungeon master, Mr. Leon, because I feel like being Mr. Leon. And a happy International Chocolate Day to everybody out there. Oh. Uh, Remember to eat all the chocolates, especially fine Cadbury product, (laughs) for no apparent reason, especially flake and twirl. Did you... Were there any big uh, celebrations, Leon, at the factory? No, we all turned up. We all uh, did our 12 hours and we all buggered off. It was really? good. They don't celebrate Didn't International get a little, Chocolate Day? A little popper or a cracker or a slap on the back. I get them, but that's but that's from management. That's <laughs> oh, a whole okay, different that's, kettle that's of fish. HR but issue. other than that, it was fine. So, anything exciting happening in the world of the Dice Men? Because... I got nothing. I go to work, I come home, I, I pat my son, ooh, and there he goes. Ooh, Mark, ooh, Mark, ooh. Mark. Well, my wife and I got a new puppy. When I say puppy, it's two and a half years old. But we got a new dog mm-hmm. from the dog's home. A little uh, Maltese poodle cross called Sooty. Wow. A little black and grey, lovely little girl puppy. And my wife is so happy. She's over the moon. We've been trying to get one for a while, and... I don't know what it's like in the rest of Australia, but you know as you know well, Garth. I you do. Uh, took you a long time to get a dog from the dog's home. You put in your um, expression of interest, if you're lucky, to get it in before they say, "Oh, expressions of interest are closed." When they put up a dog on the on the Facebook site, and then you sort of hope that they say, "Yes, you sort of fit the criteria. Would you like to come and meet the dog?" Yes, or you just go there and say, "We'll take that one. Can you give us thirty minutes to?" You know, make sure that our house is in order. No. <laughs> I'll take it now. Anyway, that's not tabletop board gaming, it's but not. it is very, very exciting. So on tonight's show, mm. we have a double extravaganza of goodness. We are going to start in cooperative, family-friendly gaming world mm. with The Initiative. Mm. We will then move on to something that is not quite so family-friendly. It is definitely not cooperative. And Leon will be talking and walking and probably chocolating us through the world that is Carnegie Mm. or Carnegie. Either which way, depending on how I can be bothered pronouncing it. And then we'll see how we go. We always plan to have extra stuff up our sleeves because we always worry about not having enough content. And then we always run out of time Mm -hmm. every single episode. So what we're going to do is just say... Very thank you for listening. We are the Dice Men Cometh. It's Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Here's a song and then we'll come back. Hey, this is Dan May. I'm the creative director at Starling Games and the creator of Polyhero Dice. And you're listening to The Dice Man Cometh. I've listened to the guys' ideas about creating their own games. One on a very long drive back from uh, BorderCon was a uh, legacy game about wallpapering. It's not bad, actually. You're with the Dice Men Cometh here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And that was Japanese Breakfast with Tactics. Now, Leon. Yes. You've been to Japan. I have. What do they have for breakfast? Uh, 7-Eleven fried chicken. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's what I had for breakfast most days. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There was lots of buffets and whatnot with just heaps of... There was still a lot of your your continental and savoury type stuff. Is breakfast ramen a thing? Possibly. To be honest, I don't know if we were even up that early. <laughs> well, there you go. But 
before we start to talk about this game, we've got to talk about the kind people who provided us with this game, and that is Good Games Australia. Now, not only do Good Games Australia have a chain of stores, but they also have their big online store and their clearance centre, and at the moment they're having an end of financial year sale on their shop, which I believe is shop.goodgames.com.au. And Good Games, as we said, have been very kind enough to provide us with this copy of The Initiative. That is right, Mark. Thank you very much. And again, thank you very much to Good Games. So let me set a scene for you in The Initiative. Now, before I do, The Initiative is designed by Corey Konitska who has designed just the odd game or two. Mm. Those games being, in chronological order, Warrior Knights, which is awesome and still I play and love. Little game called Battle... Battlestar Galactica? Yes. Is that all at all important? Mm, Uh, We've got Space Hulk, Death Angel, the card game. We've got Mansions of Madness. We've got Descent Journeys in the Dark, second edition. We've got Eldritch Trial. We've got Star Wars Imperial Assault. We've got Forbidden Stars. We've got Star Wars Rebellion. Twilight Imperium, fourth edition, Leon? Yeah, just perhaps. Favorite Uh, game ever. (laughs) Star Wars Outer Rim. And then this year, The Initiative. Yep. And Corey... Kineska, apparently it says they're on Board Game Geek, which totally doesn't match with what the internet says, um, really, I think, was Fantasy Flight Games' big box lead game designer for a long, long time, as we can see from pretty much all those titles that were all Fantasy Flight Games. But I think recently... He struck out on his own. So basically, any game in space, you know you're going to have a cracker. So I assume the initiative is a game all about space travel, Garth. Well, you never know, but I'll tell you. Oh. And then you may know. Okay. But before we do that, I'm going to read you something. Ooh. And and then I'm going to stop reading quite a lot of things because I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay. So I'm going to to put on several voices here just to convey the story. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. <clears throat> Find anything, Brock? Nah, just a lot of junk. Everyone ready to go? Yep, just finished. Wait up. It's like Monty Python's finest. The initiative is a cooperative game for one to four players. All players are on the same team and win or lose the game together. In this game, you and your friends take on the role of teenagers in 1994 who have found a mysterious board game called The Key. Mm-hmm. Not only will you be playing the game as them, but you will be helping them through a pivotal chapter of their lives. Doesn't that sound interesting? Ooh. So those voices you were doing, they were teenagers, yeah? Yeah, yeah they so, sure were. So much like in the <laughs> much like in the tradition of American TV shows where the teenagers are played by a thirty year old, <laughs> you've decided to play them as forty five year old heavy smokers. I've had this voice since I was fourteen. <laughs> so the doorman sizes her up from head to toe, then speaks in code. The elephant neighs five times. A few miles away, your team is listening. You quickly decode the phrase and pass the answer to the agent's hidden earpiece. She smiles and then replies. Foxes in filthy, tattered yarns. The guard nods and unlocks the door. (gasps) And that's kind of all I'm going to read. Okay. Because the initiative is all about discovery. And as that little introduction uh, implies, you're playing this group of teenagers in the bloody heady days of 1994. um, And I don't want to ruin this journey for you. Are you trying to tell me this this is a board game within a board game? It is a board game within a board game. Oh and it comes goodness. in a box what like a, a board game does. What a time to be alive. So the the key is the game that you are playing. Uh, and there are certain things that you do with this board game. However, the game, the initiative, has several components that you are able to know about. Because any review, any bit of information about them, you're able to see. So the board is double-sided. Which we love. We love a bit of double-sided board technology. Uh, you will also get what is creatively called one mission console. <gasps> now, a mission console is kind of like a pocket-sized version of what was that game show where you would reveal a letter after you've spun a wheel? 
Uh, Wheel of Fortune? I was going to say, if you were very fortunate in it. Uh, what's it called? What's it called? <laughs> Price is right. Price is right. Uh, Wheel of Fortune was probably being played in 1994. It would have been. Uh, and the mission console kind of is very similar because you will be revealing uh, codes, cracking codes, which will then reveal information by lifting up certain flaps on this particular mission console, which we will then hopefully use to solve a particular puzzle, which will signify if you solve it successfully end of that particular session that you play but before we get to all of that the setup is really really easy in this game you place the board face down for a reason you'll get the cards and they all will say stop don't look at them the back side of the card the deck of cards will say stop don't look at them because this is an emerging story so when you first play this game you're not really going to know what you're going to do apart from reading your rule book It'll give you a little bit of an understanding about what you're going to do. And you'll have a few components. Every player will have a standee. The board, as I said, is double-sided. On both sides of it are basically a top-down view of like a, a, I guess, just an office layout or a room series mm-hmm. of rooms layout. And you'll be going through the rooms. There are a whole bunch of little tokens that you'll be using and setting those up on the board. And essentially on the backs of those little tokens are certain codes and ciphers and basically that's how you are going to progress because you will be able to do several actions on your turn very similar to a game we loved many many years ago by the name of burgle bros yes and its sequel burgle bros 2 which for some reason we never played mainly because i forgot to back it on kickstarter oh, exactly. <laughs> so it is all leon's fault yeah, i would agree so so you'll also get a deck of cards uh the deck of cards have various symbols on them but most importantly their cards are numbered one through to twelve and there's let's call them suits of cards in that particular number range and then you will have four potential actions that you can do now four cards will be dealt to each player and then on your turn you will be able to do one or two actions the actions are to run move some spaces throughout the room you move your little standee Mm -hmm. or you can gather which is collect up to two pieces of information uh, from the room that you're in or you can conduct intel so any of the available rooms you can choose one and you can reveal up to two pieces of information there as you go. And the third act, the last action, sorry, is to regroup. All of those are pretty straightforward. The way that you will do them, though, is you'll have to spend a card on the relevant pile to be able to do the action. And the challenge with this is that you always have to place a card that is higher valued than the previous card. So if I'm the first to go, I could play a number one. That's all good and well, but I've only got four cards, so I might not have a number one. So choosing who goes first is a really important decision because mm-hmm. you get, just get to choose. Um, and that all might be good and well, because Leon, you might have one, two, three, and four in your hand, and that's all wonderful. So you go first, mm-hmm. and then Mark goes second, and he's got nine, 10, 11, 12, or nine, nine, 10 something, uh, which sucks because you all of the cards that you play are going to be too high. Mm. Uh, and that is why there is this regroup action, which you can basically place a card on it, clear all the cards from one of the other stacks, to reset it. Ah. But regroup can never itself be reset. Mm-hmm. But Garth, this is a co-op game. Surely we could all just say to each other, I have the cards two, three, four, and five in my hand. Well, you could, but you'd be cheating. Mm. And I know that I don't like it when you cheat, Leon. <laughs> uh, and the good thing is you don't. No, I don't. That's why you keep me around. Exactly. So in a lot of games like this, and I guess, you know... Mm, there are numerous codes like the crew, for example, yeah. is a nice easy one where you can sort of you can sort of give information without being specific. So, you know, Leon, you would go, I am in a really good position to go first. Yep. Or I'm in a really bad position to run, because the run card that you're going to be playing is, is going to be too high. So you can use information, and this is where, you know, in these co-op environments, you want to be able to communicate communicate quite effectively around the table so that you are minimizing the number of times you need to regroup as the action, uh, because there are gonna be certain reasons where you'll want to regroup, not necessarily because it's just time, uh, but because you've done a thing that needs a regroup to fix a thing. I'd be curious if anybody out there can think of a game that has this kind of semi-co-op information sharing mechanic, which is in quite a few games we've played over the last few years, that does it the best, because even though it doesn't do it bad necessarily in the initiative, it's it's never really 
elegant. It's always kind of like, oh, I can kind of maybe go soonish a little bit. And it just kind of feels weird. Because it's a rule that's in the game that you can't specifically say things. But what you can say is kind of left up to your group's own interpretation. Correct. Which I'm not a huge fan of any game that says, like, this rule is up for interpretation. Yeah. Like, no, it's, give me a rule. Yeah, this it, it reminds me of the game... The game, yeah, where you're putting down numbers in four piles and you ascend or descend, and you've got to put down one or two, and then the next person puts down one or two, and you're trying to communicate. Well, don't put anything on that pile because I want to go there, Mm. but then you don't know whether that means well they've got the next number in the sequence or just one that's within five, or that might be the best card of a really bad bunch. So I guess at least it brings in the challenge to make it slightly challenging. So that you don't have perfect information. Yeah, That's it, right. Maybe they should just do it like the mind, and everyone should just sit there looking at each other. Probably <laughs> not. Someone decides but, to go. But it's it's an interesting mechanic that's popped up um, recently. But I just I just don't know if I've ever seen it done like excellently because it just kind of always does my head in every time it's in any game. I think it also I guess what they're trying to stop is the alpha gamer who goes right you've got this card you've got that card i'll oh, yeah. go first and, and oh, it's I, the anti-mark system <laughs> see i absolutely uh, don't want it to be oh i've got this i've got because then you're basically hang on, playing, i've got this i'll go next yeah because then, then you go then we'll be, go back to garth you'd okay? be playing open-handed and that's kind of not the point of this game but it's just like i said it just yeah. never feels very elegant yes but yes as you say it, it does sort of prevent quarterbacking mm-hmm. so you'll go round and round and round and you'll do your actions and as you're revealing these tokens uh hopefully some of the tokens that you reveal have the correct picture on the back of them to allow you to start flipping up information on the the mission console. The way you're going to win or lose a particular game, which goes typically for about 30 to 60 minutes, that Mm -hmm. it says in the the box, is that you're going to agree as a team what the solution is. So using the example that is in the rule book, you know, the, the phrase, it says, what is the key phrase? So there's going to be letters underneath it and you want to be flipping them over so that you reveal them and you know you say okay I think the key phrase is this because you may not have enough time or enough actions to reveal all of the letters. And the reason for this is that every time you have you go you've got to play one or two actions which typically is going to cost you one to three cards and then you've got to refill your hand. Mm. Now that's all good and well but once the deck is exhausted and it's not a particularly sizable deck that you'll be drawing from, you then go into peril. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh. There we go. Now, what that means Nailed it. is that you will flip over the discard pile card, of which there is one, and it will say that you're now in peril, and, you, and you'll go, I'm in peril. Uh, but you will then add uh, some cards to the deck. You will shuffle those cards, uh, and then from then on, for the rest of that session, Drawing cards is always then going to be optional. So how do they signal that you don't have much time left, Garth, in, when you're in peril? Well, those cards that you've added to your discard pile and will now be in your draw pile have pictures of a clock on them. Oh. And if you ever draw ones that have, well, a, a total of three clock faces, you instantly lose that particular uh, scenario. And it's very, very strange. And one of, the, one of the cards has two, two on clocks. there. So once you've drawn one, then the second one could be the really mm, bad one. Correct. Mm. So this is why you may be resolving and guessing when you don't have that perfect information. It's like some sort of push-your-luck style mechanic, isn't it? Mm. Now, the other action that you might be able to do if you don't want to do these boring ones is each of your characters has their own special ability, which you can choose to do every single turn. And it might be that uh, one character allows some more movement. It might be that one character can do a special thing. It might be able to get some more information. Uh, The issue is they cost two cards instead of one. So you're going to be churning through your deck more and more and more. And and that is definitely something that the group needs to manage collectively. You do not want to burn through your deck too quickly because you will get into peril and you may lose. So apart from that, the games themselves are mechanically quite simple. You're going to have those actions. The whole journey is made out through this really cool rule book. And it's it's not the, the how to play, because that's a separate little sheet, but it is actually a comic book where at the start of each chapter, you will read a page or so, like I so excellently did. <laughs> it's like going back to Riverdale. Yeah. Uh, or somewhere else where there were teenagers. Uh, but you will get a bit of a story around what these these groups of kids from, from 1994 are doing and, and what is happening with them. It'll set up what you need to do 
And then you will go and, and basically flip a mission card, do the thing, set it up, and away you go. Back before they could get distracted by being on their mobile phone thing. Exactly. They in just... in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Before they were being distracted. That's what I, that's what I said. Before they had mobile phones oh. to distract them, so they actually did stuff together. And the story itself is really quite cool. You're old, you know that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, Garth, yes. Now, the three of us have played a couple of missions. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I then reset it, and I started from the beginning again, and I played a few uh, of the same, and then pushed on with my family. So my kids are 11 and 14, and I've got my partner, and the four of us played, and we just played back, 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 bang, and then we had a bit of a break and did some more. So we were able to progress a bit of the way through this. Now, it, the the games themselves, for the most part, again, as you get further and further, stuff happens. Potentially, little bits of changes yep. to the game Things happen because this is a persistent, ongoing system. What's the benefit of having the exact same everything happening every single game? Yep. It's not going to sort of draw you in through the, the, the journey itself. What, you mean you don't get to play 24 games of Pandemic one after the other? No, you don't and will not. <laughs> But the good thing is this is very kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, the artwork is done in, in the comic style, so it looks good. The story is not too complicated, um, and it is it is appropriate for, for kids. It, you know, it does say here that it is an eight-plus age group. So the comic does reflect that. It's not going to be going into themes that, yep. for the most part, I would say most parents are, are not comfortable having their kids involved with. And would you say that these uh, eleven and to fourteen year olds, let's let's call them children, mm. were were smarter and made better decisions than the grown ups when we played it several days earlier? <laughs> well, they might have they might have been quicker than us. Yeah, they might have solved the clues a lot quicker than what yep. we did, even when we had every single letter revealed. Yeah, and that's and we still totally fine. Couldn't work. Ah, oh, it wasn't. It was quite embarrassing. I'm glad it was just the three of us there and we didn't tell the rest of the world. Yes. It, it, was, it was not pretty. Well, the good thing is, Leon, because I don't want to spoil anything, we cannot talk about no. our, our um, failings, oh. um, but more important, my children's blessings because they, they were able to solve uh, a particular mission that um, you know, we, we struggled with. But that's okay because games are fun. So, look, the initiative <laughs> is, I think, actually a really good family game. And it's a, a really uh, approachable, it's really interactive. And if you've got kids who kind of like solving puzzles, then I think you you, you and your kids will find this enjoyable. Mm. And I mean kids, but I also mean groups of adults. I, I think it is not necessarily complicated enough to maybe be the gamer's game where you're going to bring it out and say, all right, let's throw TI4 to the side <laughs> and let's crack open... Um, 8, 10, 20, 30, 40 games of this. I'm not going to tell you how many games there are in here because, again, I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is certainly a game that you could do in between bigger games if you did want to persist with your um, your more mature gaming group. But I think the sweet spot of this is sitting down as a family. I, I think it's almost fits that same gap as you know micro-macro where it's just a little persistent story and you can bite off the little chunks of it, the 30 minutes, um, or you can go back to back to back and do a whole bunch of, of, of you know um, events and, and it all makes sense. So, you know, uh, I think something, again, like Stuffed Fables is, is a really good comparison yep. because the, the mechanics are simple enough, but the story is what gets you through. Yeah, this game screams to me, let's play a couple of games on, say, a Sunday and then we'll do the same thing next week and so on and so forth. Or you're going to wait for like a long weekend to a shack or a relative's yeah, house or something. Let's sit down and crack out, you know, half a day of this and maybe a few tomorrow or something like that. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, so my um, my daughter particularly really, really liked it. Yeah, she's um, probably the perfect age, isn't she? Yeah, she is, and, and she's the 11-year-old. Um, but, you know, um, any game that I can play with my partner is a bonus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, playing with the, the three of them and the four of us as a family is just really great. Yeah. Um, you know, the way the, the rule book is designed so that, you know, you can read the comic and everyone sees what's going on. Each of you play a character, so you can do your own voices however well. Oh, thank God for that. (laughs) That wouldn't be as well as mine, but however well that you choose to do them. And because it is drip-feeding in terms of maybe changes to the way the game plays and maybe information that comes out and da-da-da-da-da, it's done at that pace where you can just enjoy it, understand it, and it is so mechanically simple 
that you are typically not going to be sitting there going, oh, this thing happened. How do we fix it? Mm. Are we playing it right? Yeah. It's not that hard. And it's not like, <laughs> I'll never forget this, coming back to, what was the name of that game? Where we overthought it time so stories. much. The mm. time stories. And we thought a clue over so much that we couldn't work out a four-letter word. Yeah, it was <laughs> that we had in the right order. Yeah, yeah, because we thought, no, no, it's gonna be you know, it's it's gonna be really complicated. Um so it's targeted targeted at the right level. And look, I have to admit, we the first couple of games that we played, I did enjoy that. You know, I I probably more than the rest of you, I really enjoy a narrative-based game and I like to uncover the story. But but the puzzles weren't super complicated. I mean, a lot of the time we thought, look, we could probably take a crack at it, but let's play a bit more and uncover a little bit more of what's going on before we do because you're not sort of forced. It's not like you get a better score if you solve no. it quicker or anything like that. So, yeah, look, I think um, there's a lot of people that this would suit. Now, just correct me, Garth, it is a one and done, isn't it? So the missions... They're the same each time, so you couldn't play it over, or, or I guess you could if you were happy to watch your friends uncover everything. Well, look, it, it does it does essentially say that you can you can drop in and drop out. Yeah, um, you can reset it, but of, but but it does explicitly say in the rules that the person who knows it cannot partake in any of the actual yeah. decision making at the end, which is what I did. So when I re redid missions one through to three, that the ones that we had played yeah. with my with my family, um, I told them I've played these missions. I'm going to play, yeah. but I'm not going to help you with ha what is the actual answer. I left that all up to them. And it's also one of those games that right in the back of the book after the whole campaign is over, which we knew was right at the back of the book, so we yeah. were happy to skip to, to go to there. Um, it gives you a game you can play at the end of it. It's not like a legacy game where you quite literally, what we do, throw in the fire once yeah. you're done with it. <laughs> you have still got a board game you can play at the end of it. So cool. that's, you know. Yes. But I also think for, for the cost, and I know it's not an expensive game, it then makes a lovely gift that you can pass on to yeah. another family and they can have the experience and give the gift of gaming. That is correct. Uh, speaking of which, it's about a $100 game. Um, and, you know, that in today's world, especially in Australia, yeah. is not a lot of money, especially when you will get your $100 worth in the, in the number of games that you... The number of games you are required to play yeah. to get the story done. I mean, take your family to the pitches... No, don't your, play the initiative. I was going to say, take, take your you know two kids and your wife to the pitches. There's a hundred bucks, yeah, easy. That's right. and yeah. that for two hours of you know fun. Whereas this is more than two hours. That's right, and you don't have to leave the bloody house. Correct, except to buy it. Yes, unless you go huh? and buy it online at the Good Games Online Store. Well, goodgames.com.au. Yeah, and of course, haven't Good Games given us a code that our lovely listeners can put in to get a copy for free? No. no. <laughs> I, I, I don't recall that being okay. a thing. Damn it, I thought... Ma maybe if you get to the end of the initiative, it might be there. Oh, who knows? Yeah, or maybe it's Rickards out of his ass pulling a coat. <laughs> Pot so, supply. So, look, I really enjoyed this. Uh, we haven't finished it, so I look forward to continuing with that. And um, I know the three of us enjoyed our little... Um, foray into the, the world of the initiative. We did. So I look forward to, to going through and, you know, who knows, we may have a little mention of, you know, what happens if we if we get to the resolution yeah. there, which will be good. Um, but look, thanks so much to Good Games for supplying that. We really appreciate it. Please go and check out their online store um, if you want to buy the initiative or any other thing as well. And uh, we will be back after this song. Hello everyone, it's Mark here, just joining you in a break in the action to let you know how you can get more Dice Men Cometh. What? There's more? Absolutely there is. You may have heard rumours of our secret episodes. Well now it's not a secret and I want to tell you how you get access to them. All you have to do is join us on Patreon and not only will you be able to access these amazing secret episodes which our current Patreons have been raving about 
90 to 120 minutes of fun and frivolity, all sorts of interactions with Patreon listeners, and also some red-hot top 10s, it's a much more relaxed, chatty style from the normal podcast, and everyone who has been listening has really been enjoying them. Not only that, you get a pair of exclusive dice when you join up, you'll automatically be entered into a quarterly friends-only board game giveaway. And as I said, you can ask questions and interact with us as part of the secret episodes. And finally, you get to earn the title of official Friend of the Dice Men just by supporting us. We appreciate the support so much of everyone that already does. And we love producing these extra episodes for you. I'm sure you would love it if you aren't already listening. So please consider checking out patreon.com forward slash cometh and seeing if you think it's a value for you. Anyway, back to the show. There you go. No need to be unkind, especially if you're rich. That's A. Swayze and the Ghosts at local Tassie Act with their song Rich here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And you're here with the Iceman Cometh now, Leon. Hello. I know someone else who was rich. Yeah. That would be this guy, Andrew Carnegie. Yes. Carnegie. Yeah, him. I'm going to tell you all about his board game, but first, a teeny little story. So... When we went to the fun times of BorderCon, which we Mm -hmm. went to recently, having mentioned it, we will mention it many times, (laughs) Um, on the final day, it's always been a thing that, I don't know this, but the final game we play on the Monday before we take off on our long trip back to the airport and back to old little Tasmania, it's always... uh, it's always a game that sticks out in my head. I remember one year a few we played Above and Below, yep. which was a lovely end mm. of con, relaxing, nice game. Other times we've just played with like Aos and all his random pack of weird card games and stuff. But it's again it's a lovely, fun way to see everybody off. So I thought, well, right, we've got to get one more game in. What are we going to do? There's a copy of Carnegie here. I really want to play that. I think all of us really want to play that. And we've got to play a game with our good friend Charles from LFG, who's also one of our sponsors. Have we mentioned that? We should. We should mention all the time because LFG are great, and so is Charles. So. I arranged it all the night before. Might have been a little bit drunk, but I managed it. <laughs> Might have been a little drunk and tired, but I still managed it. I was like, right, you've got Carnegie. Can you teach it? Right, champion. And then I got the rest of you. Do you just want to play it first thing in the morning? Right, awesome. And then I woke up the next morning and I wanted to die. <laughs> and Mark was half dead already. Yep. Um, and, I'd started dying the night before. And Garth was a little bit dead, but thought he could brave it. So he, well, I did. he went to the border cons and he said to Charles, look, I've got a bunch of the old soft lads back at the room they're not coming in do you still want to play do you want to play a two-player version of this euro game and for crazy talk charles said yes oh yeah so garth played it and then we sent him a message saying how's the game and he sent one back saying oh it's the game of the con by country mile <laughs> to which we thought oh he's just being a twat because he is garth and that is what he does turns out that is actually what he did think he did he so he really really did I hunted down a copy online. I said, Carth, here's a copy that you could buy and take to Tasmania and teach us. And he did, the idiot. <laughs> I made Garth pay money. It's only taken like seven years, but I did it. Well, it, it, you'd already sold another one of my games, which yes. gave me the funds to buy Carnegie. So yes, uh, I had thank to you d- to whoever bought my copy of Trakirion. I had to do a lot of legwork to spend your money, but I managed <laughs> it in the end. So Carnegie is a game by Xavier Georges, or Georges's. Either way, he is known for Black Angel, Troyes, and Carson City. And it's art by some some nobody by Eno Tool or something? Some Western Australian come Irishman, come legend. I don't think he's got legs in this hobby, to be honest. But um, but (laughs) anyway. Thankfully, he's got good fingers because he knows how to use them to create wonderful graphic uh, graphic design and art. Hello, Ian. We love you. You know we love you. Uh, It is a one-to-four-player game that takes between two to three hours, which is about right, which, you know, for a Euro game to say the correct time on Mm. isn't few and far between. So, this game is inspired by the life of Andrew Carnegie who was born in Scotland in 1835, but emigrated to the United States with his parents some 13 years later. 
He went on to become one of the richest businessmen in America and one of the most famous examples of the American dream. <laughs> Carnegie was a benefactor and a philanthropist. Upon his death in 1919, more than $350 million of his wealth was bequeathed to various foundations and charities. His endowment created nearly 250... Oh, 2,500 free public libraries that bear his name to this day. They are the Carnegie Libraries. And to put it into context, 350 million in 1919 is yeah. about five and a half billion with a yeah. B. So, uh, so quite a generous way. I mean, there there's certainly aspects to his life that are not yeah. to be celebrated. I mean... Is there aspects to anybody's life that should be celebrated from 1919? Because there's not really. And I'd probably be also say not many billionaires' lives who are oh, without some no. form of scandal. Um, none, I would argue. Absolutely none. Anyway, in this game of Carnegie, players will recruit employees and expand their business by investing in real estate, producing goods, developing transport technology, and creating transport tra chains across the United States. Perhaps they will even become illustrious benefactors who contribute to the country's greatness through their deeds and generosity. The game takes place over exactly 20 rounds. Mm. Not any less, not any more. 20 rounds. That's what we're doing. With players each having one turn per round. In each round, the active player will choose one of the four actions, and then the other players get to follow, which is one of the best mechanics in all of board gaming yeah. and should always be celebrated in any game, especially said you're not sitting there for 10 minutes waiting for your turn, because you're always going to turn. Especially when the game is a Euro. Yeah. Because the number one issue with Euros is that turns take so long mm. that you might have a turn every 15 to 20 minutes. Whereas in this one, you are engaged in every one of those 20 turns because you will be doing a thing. Yeah, outside of somebody deciding what they're going to do on their turn, what the one of the four actions they're going to pick... There is essentially no downtime in this game at all, which, again, for a Euro game, is few and far between. So on your turn, what are you going to do? You're going to select a timeline. So you're going to use the timeline marker, which is this cool little orange cog. The first player selects the timeline corresponding to the action they wish, wish to perform. And then once they've selected that, they place the timeline marker, which will trigger an event. You will get income from all the workers that you've sent out on all your missions, or... You will make donations where the majority of all your victory points will come from throughout this game. So up on the top of the board, there is, is it 20 different locations, I believe, where you can make donations, and they simply become your end-of-game scoring. Yeah, so the, the, you've got the major board, which is the you know, Map of continental America. United States, yep. um, and that is broken up into four regions. Mm -hmm. So you've got your, your east, your west, your midwest, and the south. And they are replicated in the 20 turns. So as you said, Leon, you take your timeline marker, you'll put it on whatever action you want to do, and it'll the, the spot you put your marker on will be either east or west or south or um, midwest. For those particular actions, there are also ones that don't have a location on them. They're the ones that you'll do a donation instead. Yes, and when you do the donation, the first time you do a donation, it's only going to cost you a fiver. Bargain. A fiver to mm. give a donation to a charity throughout America. That's amazing. But then the next time you go to make a donation, if you've made one previously, it's then going to cost you $10, which in this game, obviously I'm guessing probably represents millions, probably. Um, it's a little bit harder to come by. And then it goes to 15 and then it goes to 20 and then it goes to 25. So pulling one of those events when you can look around the table and go, they've all got no money, ha, 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 mm. is, is great fun had by Leon. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, once you've done that and everyone works out how they're doing that, you've got your income or you're spending your donations, they will, you will then use a department, which is the, the main bulk of the actual playing of the game. Uh, all players take turns using their departments that correspond to the chosen action types. And what are those action types I hear you asking, Garth? Uh, what are they, Leon? They're, well, there's four of them. Whew, thank there is human resources. Oh, that's where the exciting stuff happens. Yeah. Yes, I had some fun dealing with them today. <laughs> uh, allows players to move employees to different areas within their companies. Employees may move to different departments and or empty spaces. Empty spaces? Why would they move to empty spaces, Garth? Well, this is where I think it's really cool. Mm. So you've got your main central board, and then you've each got your individual player board, which is your building. Yeah. You will start with only five rooms in that building, mm. plus a lobby, which is where all your workers are going to start. 
And each room signifies an action that you'll be able to do, uh, as long as you've got workers in there who are standing up. So you want to have standing up workers, and sometimes you will be expanding and getting new rooms, and you'll need to move those workers around there. So uh, by, by doing the HR action, you'll be moving your workers around, and the benefit of moving a worker into an empty office is that it'll be cheaper to actually put a functioning mm. room in there. Yes. I'm here waiting for this department to start up. I'm so keen. I've come to work early. So when you move all your workers around, whether they were standing up or laying down beforehand, they're always going to be laying down once they've finished their movement. But that just means they're in training for when they can be used a little bit later. Then you have the management tiles, which allow a player to acquire goods and money, as well as build new departments. Each company begins the game with two different management departments. So all the other ones, actions I'm going to say, you all start with just one square, but the management department, where you get all your goods and your money, you start off with two, because that's what you want in any early Euro game. You want goods on goods on goods and money on money on money. Well, we're also industrialists, yes. so we want goods and we want money. Mm. <laughs> Indeed he do. Then we've got the construction, which allows players to build projects developed by their R&D department and also spread your influence across the great board of America. And this is where we stop playing this Euro for two seconds and decide to play Ticket to Ride. <laughs> which what? is Yeah, Ticket to Ride, right. So Ticket to Ride is a game that can't... Anyway, <laughs> it is very similar to that one you take this action. Or, Garth, you may have heard of a little game called Power Grid, where you connect... Towns and cities See, together with links. Yes. yes, yes, you got that reference. Well done. Then you have the final one, which is research and development, which allows players to design new projects on their awesome little slider thingies and develop transport network networks that increase income later. Garth, tell us about the little slider thingies. So each of your triple layer factory boards or your office boards or department mm, boards, whatever God, you call them. Triple layer. Yes. Uh, on the right-hand side of them, you will have four sliders that are about the size of a, let's call it a regulation bookmark. Mm -hmm. And they will signify the four different types of things that you can build. So you've got infrastructure, you've got industry, you've got residential, and you've got commercial projects. And, and essentially, your, your R&D, sorry, to slide those out, all costs R&D points. Whenever you spend some R&D points, you move out your slider, it will reveal a new space that you'll put a disc on. The disc signifies a building of that type or a project of that type. And then, as you've said in your um, other action, you'll then be able to place that on the board itself. So it's a couple of stage process to actually go from having the wonderful idea of I need to build things to actually being able to build it because you've got to do the R&D. You've then got to move your, your building out there. Uh, and all of that costs goods and or money, mm -hmm. which isn't easy to come by. Mm. Yes, but then you'll send people out on missions and use your management to get more of it. Hope so. And go on and on and on. It's like some sort of game, Garth. Mm. And then finally on your turn, you'll activate employees and the end of round. So players may activate their employees where you can stand up your trainees and actually make them active. So when you do them... Uh, for later tasks, they will achieve what they're supposed to, but that's going to cost you money, always with the money. And then once that's done, you will take the first player marker, hand it over to the next person, you'll do that 19 more times, and away you go. Mm -hmm. And oh, does this game flow so well? And the symbology of this game, which any Euro game, you know, when you put a board in front of you, there's all these new symbols and stuff everywhere. They all make so much sense. And within, I'd say, half an hour of this game, which is, I think, for me personally, and I'm not a huge Euro person, but any time I play any Euro, if I, within half an hour, can look at nearly every symbol on the board and go, I know exactly what that is just by looking at it. I don't have to go through the rule book. Yep. That in my head, straight away, I go, now I can just start playing this game. I can start enjoying it. I can start figuring out my strategy, my tactics, and away you go. I do not want to be looking at a rule book in an hour and a half's time going, what is that symbol again? Yeah. There's nothing worse than that. Yeah, well, look, as as someone who got taught this game initially at BorderCon mm. by friends of the show, James, yep. and I, I do want to do a big shout out to say thank you because he did an excellent job teaching. Uh, but then once I had my copy and read the rules, it it's not the easiest game to understand. I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to learn it from the rule book yep. um, just because you know how this sometimes stuff just makes sense when you see it in action as opposed to when you read it. Mm -hmm. And it does sound arguably a bit more complex in the rule book than the actual reality of playing it. And one of the things I love about this game is that 
each of the actions are individually really, really simple. Mm -hmm. However, it is the combination of those actions becoming more and more complex, particularly as you build more and more rooms in or more and more departments in your office, because what starts as a one single action, I'm going to be able to move workers around into my different departments. As soon as you've got another department that triggers on that particular phase as well, you're going to be able to do another thing. Yeah. And you can choose the actions in which you do it and you can choose the order in which you do it. And it is this engine building um, aspect to, to it that you're trying to generate because everyone is going to be able to do the same action that you have chosen. So in itself, there is no necessary benefit to being the active player, apart from the fact that you get to choose the overall action. Yeah. So by, by basically constructing your own office and your own department around the type of game that you want to play and the type of actions you want to focus on, that's where you're going to get more benefit than your competitors. Yeah, when this game says it takes between two to three hours, which I say is standard Euro time for, say, a four-player-ish game, that time is spent you know, thinking and actually playing the game. It's not spent kind of faffing around trying to figure out what's going on because, as we talked about with the rule book, this rule book that I've got in front of me, it's only 20 pages long, which for a game that you, you look at its table presence and you go, whoa, there's a lot going on here. It's only 20 pages, and naturally the first two are just your components. There's like two pages at the end about the solo rules, which, you know, if that's not for you, like us, doesn't mean a thing. And then the rest of it's just a little extra information on what all the different departments and icons and stuff do. So essentially, once you take all that out of it, it's about a rule book for a game that takes three hours that's about 10 pages long. Yep. And... It, you could read that quite easily. Like, you could have taught this game to us, Garth, by just reading out this rule book, and it would take nearly no time whatsoever, which for a game like this, I think is very much commendable. Well, uh, I taught it last night to Trent and Carl. Mm. Uh, we were probably done in, what, half an hour yeah. or so? Yeah. Um, which, again, my immediate reaction to this game, uh, which I've said to, to you, Leon, and you, Mark, is that it feels like a Vital Lacerda light game. Yeah. And by that, I mean... The actions themselves are simple. However, it's the relationship between all of those actions that causes the complexity and then the higher level decision making. Uh, what I love is that you can go, this action does this, this does this, this does this, this does this, and all of it makes sense, kind of. The question for each player is then, why am I doing these actions? In what order I want to do those to generate both money and both goods and ultimately, the ability to make donations to turn them all into victory points. Yeah, and for me, um, this game has a sublime combination. I mean, we we do sound like we're all singing from the same songbook on this one, but the sublime combination of strategy and tactics where at the start of the game, I can think what I really want to do is clearly is there's big points in the network building. I really want to connect those four regions. That's going to get me a lot of points. And obviously... There's some different combinations of donations that work really well together. Well, if I can get those, that'd be great. You can have a grand plan. That can be your strategy. But the thing is, you may not be able to put that plan into place because the different order of the actions where you're only going to get to pick, if you're a four-player game, every fourth one means you can't plan it out perfectly. And so you've got to react on the turn of oh, damn, Leon's gone to HR again. I really thought he was going to do management, so I set myself up to expect that. So whilst you're trying to predict what your other players might choose, what action they might choose, and also what area they might target if they target one of the actions with an area, because you'll get income from that, you're trying to get in other players' heads a, a bit, a reasonable bit. But you're also trying to piggyback off them. But at the same time, you have to be prepared that Every time they've got four choices, so I'm going to have to do something and I'm going to have to do it as best as I can. Now, you do have a token which lets you not do the action that everyone's doing and do whatever action you want, but it's a one use for the whole game, so you've really got to keep it up your sleeve. I mean, well, the two games I've played so far, first time I didn't use it because things sort of flowed okay, and the second time I think I used it in the the second last round of the game or something, you know, trying to just put my final little strategy together. But I think for me, that's what I love about this is because I have to plan a little bit, but I don't have to have the game planned down to an nth degree because I just, I, like I lose concentration if I have to do that. And then 
tactically, I'm like, oh, damn it, Garth has picked that action. So now I want to try and make the, the best chance of doing that thing or do the best I can with that thing. Mm. Uh, this game is really good, funnily <laughs> enough. Uh, I have a cube in my Calax at home, just, just the one cube. Calm down. Um, that is reserved for your proper Euro gamey, gamey, game, game, games. And Concordia has been sitting on there all by its lonesome for a while. <laughs> um, and then this year, a few, a few biggins have come along and, and sat there. I'm proud. My, my copy of Anno 1800 is very much on that cube. And very soon, I'd say within the next week or so, there will be a copy of Carnegie in that oh, wow. cube. Wow. It is, it is that good. And it is a game much like those other ones that I think I would play at, at any time. They've... He, all, like I said, all the different com- components of different styles of Euro games have come together so well in this that I can't really pick a flaw with this game at all. Yeah, it was interesting last night I observed, Garth, you taught the game really well. But there was still this point just before the end of the explanation where I think both Trent and Carl sort of went... Okay, I think I've heard about enough rules. I'm, I'm sort of, I think I'm going to have to see it in action to really get it. Yeah. And I know in my first game, I felt like a third of the way through, I was doing actions and I could sort of see that they could be helpful, but it didn't sort of come together. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's like the penny dropped. Yeah. And I started to be able to put all the different bits and pieces together. Yeah. And that was, you know, uh, a light bulb moment. And I, I, yeah, I'd happily sit down and play this right now. Yeah, so Charles and I both had that same experience. We were about a third of the way through and we both went, can we just stop and restart? Yeah. And just just undo all of those really poor choices that we both already made and (laughs) and redo it. Um, But look, we can can keep saying the same thing over and over again. I, I really do enjoy the level of simplicity the actions take, but the complexity of them. Um, you know, I, I'm very lucky to have the Kickstarter deluxe edition oh, that came beautiful. through and, and the components are spectacular and it just looks beautiful and, and Ian does wonderful work at, at making that seamless but, but also informative so that it just makes sense when you're doing the things, as you said, Leon, the icons just make sense. And the little game trays and the the, the money is very unique, uh, but it works really well. Yeah, since this came out, since this has been brought to backers in the last month or so, it's pretty much been in the BGG top 10 nearly the whole time. And mm. this is a game that... If you've missed out on it, I wouldn't go too worried about it because I think this is a game that once it gets to retail is going to go well. I also think this is a game that would not surprise me in the next six months. We see either the second edition of this on Kickstarter or we've got a little expansion. We're just going to put it back up on Kickstarter again. I think this game is going to be around for a while to come. Charles had stopped us gone and ordered some mm-hmm. and then kept playing yeah you know and it was uh, i it was i need this in my store yeah and i i often i often do that when we play well, i said you did do thing. this while we, we, were, we were halfway through playing <laughs> carnegie and i messaged the person who got your copy of carnegie and she mentioned happened to mention at some point that she had others and i'm going to get another <laughs> copy of hers but yeah but for a retailer to do that i mean come on now the what more higher praise can you have than that yeah well there you go that's uh two great games tonight carnegie and the initiative on the 7th of July, 2022, with episode 334, we have been the Dice Men Cometh. We've got to thank our lovely sponsors, LFG, and in particular with the initiative that was supplied to us by Good Games. Thank you so much to them. Check out their websites. You might even like to go and buy some stuff there. But we'll be back in another couple of weeks to talk more board games. Can you believe it? Because there's always more board games. But... It's time. Edge Radio 99.3 FM. We will leave you with a song and we'll be back shortly. Bye. Bye. Do we? I mean, goodbye. <laughs> 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 You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.